want to encourage you uh, after the service grab a, uh, to grab a prayer card. We got 85 leaving tomorrow for our kids camp, uh, kids and leaders. So our last camp of the summer, uh, which is exciting. Uh, also, one of the interesting things that's happening today is today after the 1115 service, uh, we have 11 kids that are here from uh, Central Asia. They're here in partnership with uh, Every Child Matters and uh, Nightlight Christian Adoption. And uh, there's a kind of a meet the kids time after this service, some, some lunch and stuff. But uh, we're, uh, Nightlight's uh, hosting these kids for a few weeks. And, and uh, one of the things that happens in a church like ours is you get a chance to learn a little bit more about adoption and the needs of orphans around the world. Uh, and so uh, I encourage you, if you've ever even thought of this or you want to know more about orphan care or things like that, or maybe you'd even consider uh, adoption in your family. You can come. If you come, you don't, go, you don't leave with a kid or anything like that. It's just simply come and enjoy. Now, it's been really interesting. Kim and I, we've had a little girl um, uh, from Kyrgyzstan uh, with us. We don't understand a word from each other, but we have had an awesome time this weekend. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, so I encourage you, if you're thinking about that, uh, join us today. Uh, we're, we're continuing our series called Ride the Wave, in which we're thinking about how to ride the wave of God's wisdom and, and live in his wisdom, how we hear it, meditate on it, reflect on it, but how we don't just sit on the beach. We actually uh, uh, find that real wisdom is in, in learning how to do the right things that, that God is calling us to do. And, and that song, that last song we sung, it really pictures really the, the paradox of the life of Jesus, right? So at the cross, we come, we die to ourselves. Only there do we really find life. And this is the, the paradox of the Proverbs too, that if we learn to trust in our ways and follow our paths, uh, we find ourselves getting ourselves in all kinds of trouble. But if we can learn to trust the Lord in, 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 with all our heart and let him lead us, he will lead us in paths uh, that are good and right, that they're straight, they're without obstacle. And so we're, we're learning how to do that, listen to him in, in all these different areas. And today we, we have to think about uh, sexual in- integrity. Now, it's interesting, I, I, when I think about the talk, um, I, I've had to have the talk twice with uh, two boys that I have, uh, and, and I was a youth pastor for 20 years, so I talked about sex with our teenagers all the time. It was very easy just to kind of help them think about God's great plan in it, God's great gift. But when it came to sitting down with my own son the first time, I literally sweat through my entire show. Like it was just like, it, it was like at the end, I was like, oh, I'll just let the world just screw you up and I'll fix you later. I mean, I, was, I, I, I stumbled through the whole thing. Second kid, it was a little better. Uh, second son, a little bit better, but same thing. Sweat through my shirt. It was just nervous the whole time. I don't know what it is. Uh, so I brought extra shirts today. I've already changed my shirt once uh, and we'll see how, many, how we do the rest of the day. But this is... It's, it's interesting how difficult it can become sometimes for us to talk about this, because on the one hand, we have to embrace this, that this is God's great gift, God's gift of sex. We affirm it, uh, that God's gracious uh, creation intent for, for human sexual conduct, as defined in the scriptures between a husband and a wife in a lifelong union, it is his wedding gift to you, and then by far, uh, the walk the ice cream maker, the popcorn maker, those, those are debatable whether you will keep them or not. But this gift, you will not want to send back. It is the best wedding gift and it is from God himself. And we as Christians often get this uh, wrong. But it's important that we understand as good as it is, as, as much as we'll see, as good as it is that God has given us this, this wonderful gift to enjoy a marriage. As Christians, we'll get it wrong. In fact, the church often gets it wrong. In fact, even as you're reading through the New Testament, as you're seeing these new churches get established, we're, we're, one of the key ideas you see is 
uh, challenge them to avoid sexual immorality. Uh, so even in Acts 15, when they're trying to think of what are the most important things that we could tell these churches to help them get established, they kind of lay out some things and, and help them understand how important it is to avoid sexual immorality. First Thessalonians 4. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's God's will that you be sanctified, that you be set apart for him. Okay? That you should avoid sexual immorality. You want to know God's will for your life? Avoid sexual immorality. There's a, there's a clear statement in Scripture that this is such an important thing to God. Now, it's important, as we'll see, to God because it, it just, it, it, when we don't allow him to lead us, we don't trust in him and, uh, with all our heart, we find ourselves bringing uh, a lot of devastation into our lives. And so, uh, as we look at this, it's very important that this is all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 7. In, in the first seven chapters, this is the fourth time that it's brought up in, in seven chapters. Uh, and so we're going to see how important it is. And, and again, the theme that we begin to see is how a father wants to protect his son. And if we see that and understand that, when we also begin to understand that this is really the heart of our Heavenly Father, that our Heavenly Father wants to protect His children. And so this is the big idea that we're going to see today. And, and this is one part of the whole big picture, but it's important that we understand this part as we look at this scripture. This idea, uh, big idea today, is that God wants to protect us from the pain of sexual immorality. And so God has given us this gift that brings, is meant to bring joy and pleasure. But when we, we lose sight of his path, it can bring pain. It can break down our relationship with others and with God. See, it's important that you understand that see, some people are going to, they're going to talk about God as a killjoy. He is, he is, he's against you ever enjoying anything in life. That is not the case, that he is a keep joy, that he wants to keep joy in your life, that he wants you to, he wants to protect you from relationships eroding away from, uh, the, he wants you to have real freedom in your life and not be controlled by things and desires. He wants you to know him and walk with him in great intimacy. And when we struggle with this, oftentimes uh, we find that relationship uh, being cast aside. So let me encourage you to turn to Proverbs 7. Proverbs 7. And as we read Proverbs 7, one of the important things that we'll see here is this. A couple things to set up. Uh, remember, especially in these first nine chapters, we have a father teaching a son. And so the context is of a, a man being enticed by a woman. But let's be real honest and clear. The, the tables could be turned very easily. In fact, in Proverbs 1, we see that the instructions are to help uh, the unlearned and, and the wise, both, everyone, all included, young and old, wise, unlearned, all of us learn to grow more and more in wisdom. So it's very easy that we can look at this either way. So this is not a sermon for men. This is a sermon for men and women. It's a sermon for all of us to, to think of. This is a message for all of us to think of. And so as we go through this, what we'll do is we'll kind of break down the passage a, a couple verses at a time, and then we'll look at a few warnings that it gives us and then try to think about how to respond. So let's start with the first five verses in Proverbs 7. And it'll be up here on the screen as well if you want to follow along. Uh, he writes, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. And they will keep you from the adulterous woman and from the wayward woman with her seductive words. And so the passage begins with an exhortation, an encouragement, embrace godly 
wisdom. Embrace godly wisdom. Keep it close to you. Uh, Hold on to the the teachings of Scripture, the teachings of God. And especially in this area where the whole culture is speaking a a totally different language and and sending you a totally different message. What he says is this. Store up for yourself all the things that God wants to teach you about it. Tuck it away. Store it away so that you can draw upon it when you need it. Take the wisdom of God and store it away. Hold it as close to you. As, as the apple of your eye. I don't know if you've, if you've ever gotten close enough to someone where you can actually see your tiny reflection in, the, in their eye. So the, the apple of your eye, this little dot, it's called the little man of your eye. So you can actually see yourself, the little man of your eye. And he's saying, hold wisdom that close to you. Keep it that close to you. Let it be, uh, he, he talks about your, your fingers and your hands, bind it on your fingers. He means live this wisdom out. He says uh, to write it on your heart meaning to internalize it, make it a a part of your very fabric of who you are. Let wisdom become like a sister or a relative or a spouse. And the idea is that this knowledge, this godly knowledge, is to be your trusted companion. It is to, you're to cultivate a relationship with wisdom, that wherever you go, that godly wisdom really is your friend. It's the one that, wisdom is guiding you in the choices that you make. And if you do, you see in verse 5, it will keep you from immorality. It will keep you from sexual sin that could destroy things in your life. Now, this is important as we kind of think about uh, just kind of this beginning context of a parent speaking into the life of his child, that we understand how important it is for us as parents to not just have the talk, but to talk with our kids and to talk uh, about these kinds of things, to think about godly wisdom and not to talk at them, but to talk with them and to ask questions and to listen and to understand where they're at. And this has become so important for us. Now, one of the things that's so interesting, I think, about this is every week, this week is a little different, of course, but uh, most weeks, the, the, the kids... Uh, all the way up to our oldest people here, everyone on Sunday mornings, we, we, we study the same thing together so that you as families and friends, you can talk about it around the dinner table or at night. So Deuteronomy 6, talk about it when you're on the road or when you're at home, uh, when you get up or when, uh, when you go to bed, anytime, anywhere. We want you to have conversations about it, the whole family to be able to talk about this. Now, we don't want to just leave our kids to discover it all on their own. It's kind of like leaving them in a, in a chemistry lab and saying, go, go figure out what kind of compounds you want to make in life, you know, kind of thing. I mean, they might come up with some great stuff, and chances are they're going to explode and lose fingers and things like that. So we want to teach, we want to help them walk in godly wisdom. Notice verse 6, he starts getting very specific about this topic. So he says this, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. He says, look, there was a night. He goes, I watched this situation play itself out. And I want to teach you something I learned from this. He says, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. He says this, I noticed a young man who had no sense, who lacked wisdom, who lacked judgment. How do I know? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And notice interesting that the progression, wrong place, down the street, near the corner, wandering in her direction, this kind of repetitive thought. Wrong time, twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night is setting in. 
Now, he says something very interesting. What he's trying to help his son see is, look, this guy was not looking for this trouble. But because he lacked wisdom, he strayed into trouble's path. And this is going to be a very important thing that we'll see, see come out. Verse 10, he says, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, before we look at what she says, notice just how he sets this up. He says he meets her, and by her dress, it's obvious where this is about to go. Her intent is crafty. In fact, the language is almost like a hunt is on. And he's kind of helping him see, you know where this is going to go? You're right, this is where it's going to go. And, and so he uses this expression that it, with a brazen face, he uses it twice, and both times are to indicate she's about to basically lie to him. Notice what she says. Today, I fulfilled my vows, and I have found from my fellowship, uh, and have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked at for you and found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken, he took his purse filled with money, and, it will not, and he will not be home until the full moon. And so she's just gone, and she's offered an offering. A sacrifice was made. The blood uh, that was spilled uh, was to draw her close to God and bring uh, cleansing. The meat that was left over, you were to take home. You were to enjoy as a, in a feast. And so we see even some of the twistedness of, of this situation. But notice what she's saying. Come, feast with me. Come, take in. Look at my bed. It's pleasing to the eye. It's pleasing to the smell. We won't get caught. And the expectation is very clear from this passage. You should expect a full night of pleasure. Now, what I appreciate so much about what Solomon does here for his son is this, is he never hides the idea that this is not going to feel great, that this isn't going to be filled with pleasure. He makes uh, lets him know, taste, smell, touch, sight, this will be pleasurable to you on the outside. And in, in all the years of youth ministry, it never works saying things like, you know, you go do this, it's going to be awful, and things are going to fall off. And I mean, that stuff never works, right? No one buys into that. And Solomon doesn't even suggest you say that. Solomon says, look, everything she was saying to him was going to be true. He was going to have a pretty awesome night in part, but then notice how, the, how the, the whole thing, he wants him to see. But let me help you, son, see the bigger picture. While there will be this pleasurable experience, it doesn't end there. With pervasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare little knowing it will cost him his life. And all three animals are being led to the slaughter. All three, the ox, the deer, and the bird, they don't see it coming. 
They don't recognize the danger that they're putting themselves in, but the message is very clear. The father shares with his son, destruction will come. And so here's his wisdom. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Notice what the father is most concerned about. He is concerned about the heart. Because what he knows is this, is that what the heart desires, the feet follow after. And this path is a path in which many have been devoured. And so let me give you a couple quick warnings that we learn from this passage, things that we should pay attention to if we're going to live in the wisdom of God when it comes to sexual integrity. And the first is this, is sexual sin distorts judgment. Sexual sin distorts judgment. Notice verse 25. In fact, I encourage you to underline verse 25. Don't stray into her paths. And so maybe a way to think of it is like this. Uh, the truth is, most of us, whether from experience or, or, or we have at least enough wisdom or knowledge to know this, that falling into a sexual sin usually doesn't happen like this. One big leap, okay? You don't just go to work one day and wake up in your coworker's bed. It doesn't just happen like that, right? It's not just one giant leap. What we see here, notice what the father's teaching the son. He says this, don't stray into her past. And so what happens is it's a series of tiny little steps in which we rationalize away. We stray, we drift, we stray, we drift until it's too late. And what he's teaching is, is with the strain, with the drifting, if you continue in this path, you ultimately will get to this place. Don't stray into her past. And so uh, maybe this is, maybe, so maybe it does happen something like this. You're at work, New coworker comes in. It's an attractive coworker. Wow, she's a beautiful woman. He's a good-looking guy. And it's just notice. There's nothing, it doesn't seem anything wrong in that. But you notice, and then you realize, I like to notice. I like to notice how attractive he is or she is. And then they show you some attention. The person shows you some attention. Wow, I like that attention. I like being noticed. I like that they, they notice me. Not just that I noticed that person, but she noticed me or he noticed me. And they invited me to go to coffee and we're going to coffee and there's connection that's being made and you feel that electricity. You feel that, that little buzz of, wow, there's just something there. And then uh, it's, well, let's hang out. Let's go to lunch. And then it's together. And then you're texting at home and you're hiding it from, from your spouse and all these little, so it's all these little steps. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I'm owed this. You know, her bed, she's got these silk sheets from, from Egypt and it smells like cinnamon. I mean, our sheets don't even match and they, the kids have peed on them and, and there's a dog at the end of our bed. Like, I deserve a night of pleasure, right? And you tell yourself that. And you're strain, 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 right? And he's saying all the way along. Now, what's very interesting is that we, we just think, as long as I don't get to the cone, I haven't done anything wrong. Right? I mean, this, is, this was even, I, I, we had a president who kind of even kind of verbalized, I, I didn't do this. I mean, I got here, but I didn't get to here. And, and we kind of, as a culture, have said, well, yeah, if you don't get to the cone, then you haven't done anything really that 
that bad. Even in Jesus' day, they thought this way. Jesus had to say, look, you, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, okay? This, I tell you that when you begin to entertain this in your heart, you've already gone too far. When you begin to lust after someone, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so Jesus warns, not notice what Jesus doesn't warn just simply against this. Jesus warns against all of this. And this is, he echoes the wisdom of Proverbs is that be careful. Be careful you're not straying into her path. Doesn't matter how fast you're going, if you don't stop the drift, if you don't stop the strain, you will get there. And remember again, this is about the heart. So number one, sexual sin distorts our judgment. Number two, sexual sin destroys our relationship with others. Verse 26, many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Uh, She's caused destruction in a lot of people. And what a lot of us know, whether it be personal, I know a lot of us have experienced this in, in personal ways, whether through our family, our friends, or in our own family, that this sin usually is not something that only affects you. It usually affects those that are closest to you as well. When infidelity comes into a relationship, uh, some of you know the pain of this. I, for me, growing up, this is what uh, caused the pain of the divorce of my parents. And there's this betrayal. There's this lack of trust and, and, and so much work. And, and so, I, I mean, I've seen some people, just, just godly, godly people who have worked very hard to restore and repair. But they never dreamed that they would have to do that. Now they've walked in grace and they've walked in God's strength. But they realize, man, this, is, this involves all of us here. And we have to take incredible steps to restore and repair. Even pornography, if we think of pornography, this is, let's be honest, this is the most sophisticated industry, specifically when we talk about uh, the, the uh, online and social networking. I mean, they're way ahead of everybody else. And so in this, we find ourselves uh, straying more and more and rationalizing more and more. And yet in all this, we find a way in which it is just numbing us more and more. In fact, there's a, a recent study said this, that uh, 40% of pornography now includes abuse to women. And somehow we kind of uh, live in some sense of denial that this isn't connected to bigger things like sex slavery and, and a lot of other very distorted things that are happening in the world that we, we just think, oh no, this is all about consenting adults. People are finding that real life men and women can't live up to the fantasies of what they're experiencing with their online men and women. Pastor Ken was telling me of a friend of his, and he said, you know, when I knew him, he was so self-centered. He was so hurtful towards others. And he said, then years later, I got reunited with him, and something changed. He, there was just something different about him. He said, all of a sudden, he became this nice guy. And I asked him, what changed? And he said, he opened up with me. He said, all those years you knew me in college, I had this terrible pornography addiction. And it caused such shame in my life and such guilt in my life that I would just act out towards others because I was just so frustrated with who I was becoming. And so we, we have to remind ourselves that not to fool ourselves that somehow sexual immorality only affects me. It affects the people around me, usually the people I care about the most. But one last thing that's very important that we see is that sexual sin destroys our relationship with God. 
It destroys our relationship. We, we find our relationship with God. The, the relationship we're supposed to know and enjoy begins to just uh, evaporate. It begins to, to we, we run from God. And God wants to be seen by us, enjoyed by us, pursued by us. And when this enters into our life, when sexual sin enters into our life, there's a way in which we begin to be, our, our vision is blurred. And as our vision is blurred, we begin to lose our capacity to see God and understand how to pursue him and enjoy him. One writer, Nancy Orper, uh, tells about her friend. She says, I have this dear friend who's in a marriage that is just plain hard. It is. It's hard, but rather than face the pain of the hard, she escapes for hours in the day into a fantasy world that's starring a man in her church who does not even know that he's figuring in her fantasy. And so she feels it's safe, but it's an amazing amount of time that my friend daydreams and thinks about this person. Sexual idolatry could take a turn where it's got such a grip on you, you know full well it is an idol in your life. And it's competing with and it's beginning to obscure who God is. One Christian man uh, shared in an article about uh, uh, his addiction to pornography and how it led into strip bars and all kinds of other things. And he said, he kind of described this progression this way. He said, he said the, at first it was like an awakening. It started out exciting. He said, but then it moved to obsession. It was controlling a greater degree of my time and my energy and my money. And he says, finally it moved to possession where I was no longer walking the dog. The dog was walking me. And he said this, he says, I learned quickly that lust points only in one direction. You can't go back into a lower level and stay satisfied. You always want more, he said. And you think about it, possession is a terrifying place to be. And addiction is certainly not the place that God wants us, that God wants us to live in freedom with him. And if he has desired you to be free, Uh, He warns us. He warns us to protect ourselves from things that rob us of that freedom. So what can we do? What what do we see we should be doing from this, this passage? The first thing is this. Set up wise boundaries. Set up wise boundaries. Many of you, I'm sure, have been to the Grand Canyon. In the last 150 years, I don't know if you realize, there's been 700 deaths in the Grand Canyon. And many as a result of carelessness. So specifically, people who ignored warning signs, who ventured off things or off trails and paths. Uh, one, one dad was kind of having fun with his daughter, throwing himself against a rail and thinking it was funny and kind of ignoring all the warning signs until he got himself into a position where uh, the rocks couldn't hold him and he fell right in front of his daughter to his death. Another girl, uh, a few years ago, she was uh, hiking a trail. She wanted to get a photo of herself off on this one spot. And despite all the warning signs, she ventured off to take that photo and fell to her death. And it's not just that these deaths are tragic. It's that they could have been avoided. In many ways, it's, it's like what we experience here. We almost want to see how close to the edge we can get without it causing us any pain. And, and we worry, we think, as long as I'm here, I'm okay. We, we stray and we see how close we can get. And some of you know personally, and some of you know it through stories, but the more, and we see it through this passage, if we don't set up wise boundaries, 
we're going to find ourselves in trouble. So let me ask you a very important question that you need to pray through. So the psalmist says this, search my heart. Search my heart. Let me know, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? Could you be bold enough to pray that? Could you ask yourself today, Lord, how am I out on the corner at twilight? How am I out on the corner in twilight? Where, where have I been careless? Where am I straying? Where am I drifting? And if you know that in your mind, you need to tell yourself, it's here. I need to stop going here. I need to get rid of this. I, whatever it is, how am I out at the corner at twilight? Now, you have to be aggressive in these moments. And here's how I know that. Because when Jesus was teaching about adultery, when he says, look, it's not just this, it's, it's this, it's entertaining it in your heart. Here's what Jesus said next. Jesus said this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus uses a literary type of, of, he's using hyperbole, right? He's using exaggeration, but his point is very clear. Whatever you need to do, do it. Do it today. Take whatever drastic step you need to do, but do it today. Delete that phone number. Cancel Netflix. Can't, uh, delete the app. Do whatever you need. Cut off your hand, poke out your eye, do whatever you need to do, or you're going to bring a bunch of hell into your life and into your family. So if it means you as a couple say, we need to sit down with a counselor because something's missing in this relationship. The spark is missing. Let's pursue it together because God made us, God desires for us to have this spark. And for whatever reason, why it's not here, I don't know. But we'll, I, I will do everything in my power to, to pursue it with you. Wherever you're straying, call it out. Decide on it today. Gouge out the eye. Cut off the hand. Decide. I, I, it, it's interesting. You need someone to help you with this kind of stuff. And I realized last week we talked about finances. And we talked about, you know, none of us want to tell each other about our finances. This one's probably even more so. No one wants to tell each other why we're, how we're struggling with immorality, do we? I mean, this is, this is humiliating. We're embarrassed by this. But you've got to find someone in your life that you can be open about this. If there's a boundary, if there's something that you need help with, or there's, there's a, a decision you make, you've got to find someone safe that, to tell it about, tell it to you. I, I remember this. I, I went to, uh, I, I, when I finished my doctoral studies, I was flying out to Chicago all the time. And the first time I flew out there, I flew out there and I was like, wow, big city. This is exciting. This is exhilarating. And, and all exhilaration, this temptation came to my mind. I could do anything out here and nobody would know. I have no accountability out here. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows my family. I could bring anyone up to my apartment. I could do anything I want and no one would ever find out. And that thought terrified me. I had such compassion for those of you who travel. But I realized I could get in a world of hurt and no one would ever find out. I could lose my whole life, my whole future, my whole career, my family. I could throw it away for one night of pleasure. And my thought was, no, 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 Bill, no one will ever find out. I could feel the temptation in such a strong way that I struggled through that entire week. 
I got home and I was like, and, and my close friend, Dan, asked me about it. And I, and I was getting ready to fly out six months later. And I told Dan, Dan, last time I was there, man, it was just the weirdest temptation. I just, I, I just was never in a position like this. And so Dan said this, I'll call you every single night. Just check on how you're doing and we'll pray together. I'm like, man, that would make a big difference. Do you know why accountability is so great? It's really hard to make your rationalizations and your excuses sound smart to somebody else, right? Well, I was just like talking to her and like, I mean, at that point, you're like, I'm an idiot, okay? And so Dan would call. He'd check in on me. How you doing tonight? Just simple. He's not, I mean, just simple stuff. You know, all right, how was class? This is that. Okay, let me, let's pray. But I knew, the fact that I just knew Dan was calling gave me the strength I needed in those days. What boundary do you need to make in the next 24 hours? Who can you tell that to so that you can get the accountability you need? And all of a sudden, it loses all of its strength. All that temptation, somehow, it's like the life gets pulled right out of it. How, who can you tell? Who can, who can be a trusted person next to you in this? We have a wonderful ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. It, start, it meets tomorrow night. I would encourage you, if any of you want to walk with some great people, you just want to make sure, I want to be strong through these things. I don't want this stuff to affect me. I don't want it to affect my family. I don't want it to affect anything. I want God's best for my future. I would encourage you. It is an awesome ministry. It's a growing, it's probably our fastest growing ministry here at the church. I would encourage you, check it out. Just a wonderful group of people. Let me end with this last thing. And this is very important that you hear this. Listen, run to God. Run to God and not away from him. I have watched over uh, 20 plus years of pastoral ministry. I've watched so many people run from God when they begin to struggle in this area, because unlike other areas, like most of you don't run away from God when you feel like you're being greedy, do you? You just feel like, "Ah, I should be better. I should be more generous. But this is one of those things that, for whatever reason, it causes great shame in us, great guilt. But notice how he began with his son. He's telling his son, hold the wisdom of God so close to you. Hold the teachings. Store away the teachings of God so that you can pull them out when you need them. And when you struggle, when you fail, you have got to remind yourself that in Christ you are forgiven. You have to remind yourself of the kind of father who, when Jesus was telling a story of what God was like, he could say, there was a son, he got his inheritance, he went away, he wasted it all on prostitutes and figured out what an idiot he was. He comes crawling back, just begging for his dad to take him in. And you know what his dad did? His dad saw him in the distance and began to run at him. And he grabbed him. He smothered him in kisses. And he threw an extravagant party for him. Why? Because he said, my son was dead, but now he's alive. This is the God who wants to help you through this. He does not want you to run away from him. In fact, if anything, just stand still and let him run to you. And embrace you and grab a hold of you and smother you with kisses and say, it doesn't have to be like this. Trust me. Trust me. And let me encourage you with one final thing. If you're going to run to God, run to God in letting him shape for you a vision of sexual uh, pleasure, of, of your sexual life, 
See, I know you guys think that God just kind of puts up with this. It's kind of like we just stumbled on this. This is of him. And if you don't think so, turn over one page. We'll end with these words. Here's where the PG-13 gets in. This is a, these are not my words. These are God's words. Okay? So if you don't think God thinks sex is amazing between a husband and wife, you have not read Proverbs 5. So here's, I mean, imagine having this in the talk. I couldn't go, I, I, I just, I should have read this and then just, Ran away. Um, But listen to Proverbs 5. So he gives them all this warning, and then he says this. He says in verse 18, he says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. There's a lot of sexual language right there. Okay, we won't get into all that stuff. But notice the next line. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts always satisfy you. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. God's vision for you is that you have an amazing sex life. But that it takes place in the context of exactly what he desires, desires. He wants you to enjoy each other. He wants it to be an incredibly pleasurable experience. He wants it to be something that just has such a shape on your heart and life. Run to him. Run to him. And so let's pray. You've begun to think about ways that you need to protect yourself. And I want to just encourage you, confess those things. Lord, I know, I know I need to do this. Where you maybe feel you need forgiveness, confess it. Run to him. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive you and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Ask for his help. Ask for his strength. As Matt said earlier, he will walk in this with you. Pray that he will cleanse you and build you from the inside out. And so take a moment to pray and then we'll close with a couple songs.